Welcome to Coffee, Tea or Something Stronger, the podcast for anyone who writes. Whatever types of writing you do, our goal at Coffee, Tea or Something Stronger is to give you a shot of writing inspiration. And we do it by picking the brains of all kinds of professional writers about their writing and the writing life. I'm your host, Claire Lynch, and in this episode, I talk to one of my clients, Teresa North. Teresa is an internal communications consultant who works with leaders at top companies around the globe, helping them to communicate better with their employees. And in this episode, Teresa talked about how she uses words in her work and what qualities she's looking for in a professional copywriter. That's coming right up. In the meantime, a big shout out to Liat and Sasha for your reviews on Stitcher. Your support really means a huge amount to me. And to other listeners out there, if you enjoy the show, please do leave a review wherever you listen, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, or another platform. Now, let's get straight to the interview. Theresa North, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Claire. Can we start by um, getting you to talk a little bit about what it is you do who your clients are and what sort of problems they come to you with and, and how you solve those problems. Yeah, okay. Well, I call myself an internal communication consultant. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so I worked in internal communications for about 20 years um, and the first, say, 12 years or so was in-house for big organisations and then the last seven or eight years I've had my own consultancy so internal communications it's it's one of those things that uh, is very boring to describe at a dinner party um my mum recently asked me if I still worked in IT <laughs> don't you just so... love parents <laughs> <laughs> but the way I like to think of it is um it's really just helping big companies communicate with their employees better so everybody knows what they're doing and how they're doing um and, and I often say to people Imagine you're a startup and you've got five people and in the morning you sit around a table and have a coffee and talk about your strategy and what it is you're trying to do and who's going to do what. Um, but then imagine trying to do that with thousands of employees all over the world. You need some different techniques and some different methods and that's where internal communication comes in. The typical kind of things um, that I help organisations with, especially lately, is change. Mm-hmm. Um, so what be- does that mean? I always think that's a euphemism for layoffs. It, it can be, but it, it's not just that. So it, it can be all kinds of change. So certainly um, organisational structural changes that impact employees, which can mean people leaving the organisation. That is a big part of it. But it can be a new IT system where people have got to work differently. It can be... Your experience in IT will come in handy. Yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, it can be... Um, a change in strategy, uh, a new set of values. Um, in fact, I heard of a fascinating one today. I was talking to another agency and they said they were helping Philip Morris mm-hmm. with their new vision to go smoke-free. Oh, fascinating. Yeah, so you can imagine what a huge change that must be to yes. everything that they do. Yes. Um, and the way that they work, everything. Yes. So, um, yeah, so you would need a good internal communication strategy to go along with that. That sounds like a nice meaty project. Yeah, it does. It does, mm-hmm. yeah. So um, typically how would, say someone, a client comes to you with a big change project like that, um, how would you help them address it? What sort of thing would you do for them? So first of all, it's understanding where the organisation is today because the culture of the organisation 
will impact how well they manage any change. Um, if there's a, there's a high level of trust in the organisation, employees are committed to the organisation, they'll get through change on the whole better than, than and there, there isn't that level of trust. Um, so there's understanding that. And then there's also having a very clear understanding of what is the change, where the business is now, where it's trying to get to, and what are the things that are going to happen. And then from that, I would either work on it myself, but much prefer to work with an internal team on mapping out a strategy to get from A to B. And so that is things like what's changing, who's going to be impacted, in what way, and how do we help them through through it. So there's a lot of um, thought in there about change management and how people go through change. So there's different stages of denial and grief and acceptance. Mm-hmm. And being able to come through the other side with employees who've accepted the change and are excited about what the future looks like. Well, I know from having worked with you that writing is a big part mm-hmm. of that mm-hmm. process. Can you talk a little bit about where writing would fit in to a job like that and how you work with mm-hmm. words? Yeah, I think the biggest thing um, in terms of writing for, for someone working on those types of projects is translating it into English. Um, <laughs> because it's it's usually direction comes from the top it's usually in cork speak very jargon I think people feel more comfortable if they do that and trying to get to the bottom of what does this mean what is actually going to be different in in a way that people can understand and get behind is, is the biggest initial challenge working out what our it's come speak but what are the messages mm-hmm. what do we want people to take away and then there's all the production of the materials which can be anything from the initial email from the ceo to video scripts to internet articles to customer communication so all all of the communication that needs to happen around the change has to be written you mentioned corpse corp speak mm-hmm. why do you think there is so much awful corpse speak in the world. I think people like to... I, I think there's two elements of it in, in my experience. One is being part of the club. So when people join organisations, they want to feel part of it. And so using the lingo, the internal lingo, particularly acronyms and abbreviations, I think is a way people feel like they belong. Um, I think the other reason is people hide behind it. Um, and feel that they look more intelligent if they do. So you'll be very familiar with this term, Claire, but people will say to me, you're dumbing down the message. Oh, um, it's probably the number one objection that <laughs> yeah. I come across. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and so explaining to people that actually if you speak in what, what I call to my clients weekend words um, that everybody can understand, then people will get the message and they, and they won't feel like they're being talked down to. you still got to have all the important strategic stuff in there. You're just saying it in a different way. But using language that people don't understand or feel left out of or, or can't take the message, then, then what's the point in doing the communication in the first place? And how easy do you find it to get your clients weaned off that very comforting mm. corpse speak that makes them feel part of the club, makes them feel important? I find generally it often depends on the role that the person does so 
very technical people or people who consider themselves highly intellectual and less likely to let go of the co-op speak than people who are, say, in customer-facing roles or, um, or, or people-related roles. I think there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a certain type <laughs> of person that feels that they have to show their intellect. Um, Seems and, to me that stems from a lack of confidence. Yes, yes, and a bit of arrogance. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. So, but then most people, having seen something rewritten, will look at it and say, "Yes, you're absolutely right." I had a, um, an example for a bank uh, that were they were launching Yammer. And which oh sorry those who aren't yes. familiar it's um it's it's like a social networking tool for inside organizations um a bit like facebook for work mm-hmm. um but not facebook for work but not facebook for work because that does exist yeah um so they needed a kind of do's and don'ts around the um around how to use this new tool and the corporate risk and governance department something like that came up with a four page document which of course everyone would be desperate to read (laughs) exactly (laughs) exactly and 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 so i think um i brought in a really talented copywriter at the time now who might that be (laughs) claire and um and and you wrote a three-quarter page very simple look here's what we shouldn't do here's what we can't do and here's what we can do. It was very simple. And I showed it to the strategy director because the corporate risk and government department didn't want anything to do with it. Mm-hmm. But I went to the strategy director knowing that he was all for good, clear communication. He read it and backed it. And, and that's what we went with. Um, yeah. um, what's interesting in a document like that as well, you can have as many pages of legalese as you like. And you, yes, maybe you would argue that you have protected yourself legally, but it's like that old saying that the the biggest uh, the biggest confusion in, in communication is the impression that mm. it's it's happened or something like that. I didn't say that in a terribly articulate way, yeah. but you know that the biggest mistake is people thinking they've communicated when they haven't, and that's an example. Yeah. Um. You, yes, you've communicated it formally. But have you actually, mm. if no one's going to read it, if that document is going to die somewhere on the internet, yeah. what's the point? And and there were some, some really important things in there that had been stipulated by the financial, well, the financial regulator, this was in Australia, um, of things like that they couldn't attach documents to the posts and they couldn't uh, talk about any specific information that would identify a customer and that was just part of the agreement we've been able to launch this type of tool in a financial services organization at that time and so if those messages were lost in this three to four page document then they would have been breaching their responsibility yes. so you know i think we had about four points in our final document and they were two of them right yeah yeah, yeah. So much more likely to lead to the end result that yeah. you want yeah. as a risk and compliance officer. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've worked together for many years and and you've always been very complimentary about my ability to produce 
great copy. Um, but I think you underestimate your own part in that process. And I'm interested in exploring what you do before the brief comes to me. Because as a writer, I know that my end product is only as good as the brief. Mm -hmm. And I'm aware that you very much shape that brief. Uh, so what I'm interested in is what questions are you asking the client? How are you interrogating what the client wants to make sure that the end product is fit for purpose? Mm. I think one test that I have for myself without really knowing that I'm doing it is I won't bring anyone else in until I really understand what's going on. So um, I, I imagine that's probably a level of it. Um, but the types of things I'm, I'm just curious about, okay, so what do we really want people to take away from this? What's happening? And, um, and it, it's a very familiar model in internal communications, but what do we want people to think, feel and do as a result of receiving this piece of writing, this piece of communication? And so until I understand that in a compelling way and can really explain that to someone else, then I'm asking more questions. So um, why is this happening? What's the real reason behind it? What will this look like in four weeks time? What will this look like in six months time? Potentially uncomfortable questions for the client to answer. Yeah, yeah, and um, but it stops and makes them think. And usually in you know, communication in this kind of scenario does come from the top. And so, getting your internal your your client the internal stakeholder to sit down and think and be honest one of the rules around communication ttt tell the truth mm -hmm. um you know and it often helps them to sit down and think through in a way that they maybe haven't already so really just digging into into the reasoning behind them and what it's going to be like for people um what's the reality of what we're we're actually telling people. I'm thinking more there on the change side of things, but even um, on projects that are more creative, more exciting, uh, why should people get excited about this? Why mm -hmm. should they care? What's in it for them? Mm -hmm. So it's all those questions so that I feel very confident that I can then come to you and whatever you're going to ask me, I've got the answer. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I'm, I'm working with an organisation at the moment and they've got a... Sort of culture of people being expected to write reports without actually knowing what mm. the purpose of the report is and then submitting it for feedback and getting a lot of demoralising mm. track changes style feedback. And I've just actually had a coaching session with one young executive and I said, I think you would find it helpful. And I think actually those who are asking you to write this sort of document would find it, the process was more efficient if you could ask more questions before you started to write, start mm. to write. And he was like, yes, but they're very, very busy, these directors. And I said, do you know what? I've, a large part of my job involves asking questions, and it's clear that a large part of your does. And I've never paid a penalty for that. In mm. actual fact, I think asking those questions, and sometimes asking apparently stupid questions, obvious questions, um, actually can make you stand out as the person who's mm. thinking most in the room, yeah. if that makes sense. And I always say to internal communicators, 
do ask the stupid questions because you're asking on behalf of everyone else. And if you want to position it as that, do, you know, yes. that's fine. Yes, yes, um, But ask the questions because other people don't. Um, and you, you need to know the answers because you're the, the, you're the translator. Yeah. Um, but it's true. I remember once uh, employee opinion surveys are a classic example where there'll be a survey, the results will come in, a year later there'll be another survey, and you're asked to produce the double page spread on what changed as a result of the survey. And so you start asking questions and you find out nothing has changed as a result of the survey, but you still have to write the double page spread. Mm. Um, and, and that, you know, sitting down and having that conversation with an HR director saying, this is not genuine. People are going to see through this. We can't make up things. And they're going to be annoyed at being asked for their opinion once again yeah. for it just to kind of disappear into the ether yeah yeah and so it it could be tempting in that situation to just try and scrabble together a few things and mm. write uh you know a woolly here's what we did but people can see through that yeah t t t yeah 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 interesting um so when you're you obviously do a lot of writing yourself mm-hmm. on for clients but you do from time to time bring in copywriters. I am one of them. Um, when you're, you're the only one. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what is it that you see in me? <laughs> that, that actually is my question. When, you, when you're looking for a copywriting support, um, what, what, what should an internal comms person, if they're looking for copywriting support, what, what are they looking for in terms of skills, experience, attitude? And... And you know the converse of that is, as a copywriter, what what could we do to make ourselves attractive to mm. internal comms clients? Yeah. Okay. I I think the big thing for me um, is, well, I need to work with someone I trust. So now I've got someone I trust. It would be hard to tempt me to go. And and I do from time to time have to work with other copywriters because I work in collaboration with other agencies. But so trust a big one. And, and for me, what that looks like is I know that you can write for any industry, any client across. So if it's financial services is something potentially quite technical and the culture is, is more um, formal, that you know how to tackle that. It's still in the, in the beautiful everyday language, but you know how to get that tone right. Versus if I bring you in, you know, as I have before with a very young organisation, a digital organisation where people wear their jeans and and they um, drink beer on Friday afternoons at work and it's a totally different tone. And so having that that depth of being able to work across different um, organisations, different cultures is is really important. Um, And creativity, another one, because... I can, well, here's a great example of the manifesto that you wrote for for one of my clients. It needed, it wasn't just, um, can you go away and write about something? It needed a whole creative angle to bring it all together. Um, And I remember it was an interesting process, that project, because all the content came from internal, but you basically got handed a book <laughs> of documents <laughs> of stuff that people have said, reports people have written, program initiatives. And you came back with this 
beautiful creative idea that just tied it all together and gave it something that nobody had envisaged that it could be. So, so creative. Bit of a risk, actually. <laughs> yeah, um, and 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 one thing that was amazing about that project is because again it was in Australia, and and me saying I'm bringing in an English copywriter, they thought I was mad, and the MD, the CEO, could not believe it when he read it that you weren't Australian, let alone a middle-aged woman. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. So, but that's yeah. interesting. You talk about tone of voice, and um, I remember. The way I captured the tone of voice in that organisation was was among that pile of documents that you mm-hmm. handed over. You emailed me and I had to print out all this corporate blurb that was terrible. But there was one piece of writing that was gold dust. And mm-hmm. that was, I think it was extracts from some kind of employee survey where mm-hmm. it was the actual employee's voice, the way they yeah. expressed their relationship with the firm. Mm-hmm. And that's what gave me the tone of voice. All I did was copy their style. So, mm. And I, I do think a large part of copywriting um, is, I mean, you, you might see it as creativity, but I simply think of it as just having a good ear and writing down. I often say copywriting is easy. You mm. just listen to people, talk to people, and write down what they say. And I felt that with that job, maybe mm. it was slightly more involved than that, but, but being able to hear the employee's voice yeah. was what help me get that tone yeah yeah and I think as well I mean I have the same with my um the people that I write for my my clients and one in particular she believes that I'm pretty much the only person that can write in her voice it's not true (laughs) um but well I say it's not true other people use jargon and and write in a a way that they think leaders want to be written for (laughs) and she doesn't she wants to talk straight to her people and um you know it's similar to what you were just saying but I record my conversations with her um, and whether that's for me to then go away and write something or you know in, in instances I may bring you in as well and I give you the recording and I just listen back and what did she say how did she describe that what was really important to her when I asked her that question and I type it up yeah, yeah. <laughs> and send it back to her. And she thinks it's amazing. <laughs> Write with your ears, yeah. I often say. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting, you, you said she talks straight and those who try and write for her because of how they think a leader will speak. I, I suppose this brings us back to that whole issue we began with of corporate jargon. Do you think that is something that is particularly prone... Uh, that that middle managers are particularly prone to, and that actually the more senior you get, the more straight-talking you may be. I mean, I know that, like, for example, one of the writers that I admire hugely is Warren Buffett, the most Mm. successful Mm. investor in the world, and he talks in this very down-to-earth, almost homey style. His writing style is incredibly... Mm weekend wordy Mm. um and I think that comes from the position of I'm the head of my own company I've got perfect confidence I can talk in a way that's very Mm. down to earth so do you think do you think the higher people get that or have you come across leaders who do want to speak like leaders certainly have I think I I think you're right about the middle management because there's there's a there's a trying to look clever um, aspect to it but I think it is down to charismatic leadership and you have some leaders who just can't they're just charismatic they talk 
well, they write well. Warren Buffett would be an example. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, and, and others where communicating is not their natural place to be. It's not the place that they want to be at all. <laughs> <laughs> what are they doing in the job? <laughs> um, but often, I mean, often people are promoted because of their ability to do their job. Mm. Um, and, and it was one of the uh, uh, surprises I had when I went to work for Microsoft that people could go very high in their um, technical ability without becoming people managers and there were other people who became people managers because they were good at leading people mm. and it's the only organization that I've worked with that I've seen that everywhere else is so you're good at what you do we're going to promote you and you're going to get a team and, and do stuff that you're not very good at yeah and we're not going to give you any help mm. we're not going to train you in communicating we're not going to train you in writing we're just going to expect that you can manage a team, lead a team. Because, mm-hmm. so, you know, easy, everyone. It's easy. a soft skill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a reason why I've actually chosen a freelance lifestyle, and that's because I don't want to have to deal with a team. I'd much rather mm. give the words to someone else and let them... I'll, I'll do the writing part of their charisma and let their yep. daily charisma <laughs> do the rest. <laughs> Is this episode inspiring you to be a better writer? If so, visit my blog, goodcopybadcopy.co.uk, for a wealth of writing tips and to claim your free copy of my ebook, The 200 Writing Tips That'll Get You Writing Like a Pro. And if you're enjoying the show, do remember to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. Your support really means a lot to me because it helps get the show noticed. Now, back to the interview. internal comms changed over the years are there any sort of trends that for example copywriters need to be aware of or that we could even capitalize on the biggest change for me that i see is that the role of the communications team is not to communicate as much it's more now to facilitate communication this is from an internal perspective in days gone by, it was all about the what we call top-down communication. Broadcast mode. Yeah. Um, and, you know, horrible, horrible emails, magazine articles, hostage videos. What? <laughs> that's, that's what I call, I, I, I call videos that where you've got a leader just staring down the barrel of the camera, <laughs> reading from a script. <laughs> Looks like if only you could see off camera, somebody's got a gun to their head. <laughs> um, and and that's and and communications teams were responsible for producing those communications. Whereas now, for many reasons, technology and social is a big reason. Um, people coming into organisations these days have got very different expectations of how much of a say they have. People just, millennial entitlement. Yes. <laughs> People, and, and quite right. Yeah, I think it's great. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, you know they they expect to have a say, and then they've got valid points yes. of view. Yeah, all employees do. Yeah. Um. So uh, so now it's about uh, what tools do we need to create to help the organisation communicate with one another, and what how can we support the communities that need to communicate with one another? You still do need to produce communication. In terms of the the big picture, the strategic stuff, I do still 
feel that comms has got a really important role in, in, in translating that and making sure that message gets out there. But still in response to that, okay, here's the strategy. You people who do the job of delivering it, how should we do it? What are your ideas? What should we do now? So facilitating that not even two-way but multi-way communication so that people in different countries doing the same role or different parts of the organisation can find each other, can work together, can share what they're working on. That's, for me, that's where the real big difference is. So a copywriter who wanted to build a niche in internal comms, does that mean that there are going to be fewer opportunities or does it mean that you might need to think beyond being a copywriter and think more of a consultant, a communications consultant, what, what would your advice be to someone who wanted to, was interested in this niche, maybe because they're interested in people stuff? Mm. I think, probably similar to what you're doing, Claire, a great niche is, is training. Because myself included, so many comms people are not trained as writers. We learn it on the job and we try and teach ourselves um, but but we're not great writers, um, and so uh, and it might be that we can very easily pull together an internet article. But if we want to get more creative, that's where we struggle. Or it might be writing uh, a speech for, for one of our stakeholders or clients. So so I do think helping internal communicators become better writers is is a real opportunity. And then for me, when I when I turn to an external copywriter, it is for those bigger jobs, um, for when I do need some creative input, or it's a much bigger writing job than I can handle, both from a skill point of view or a um, time point of view. So if, if you can get close to organisations and know those organisations, know the people that internal comms teams support, and make it easy as if you're a part of the team to just pick up the phone and say, I'm overloaded or I've got a certain job I need a video script whatever it might be can I brief you can you turn it around for me that that close relationship I would say is 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 another is another strength from a copywriting point of view so it's all about the relationship yeah definitely definitely I wouldn't I I wouldn't call a copywriter I didn't know and say could you come in and and write something for me do you think that's almost unfair on the copywriter to expect them to understand that corporate culture right away? Or well, I think it's just because I'm spoiled because oh. I've got you. <laughs> but, um, I didn't and pay her to say all this. <laughs> I mean, I've, I, I mean, in a way, I mean, I've invested my relationship in you, mm-hmm. and um, and if you're not available, which sometimes you're you're not, I make the client wait. Um, and and the client is invested in you too. They, mm-hmm. they know you. They mm-hmm. know that when you're doing the writing, and so I'll say, you know, I know I know you need this now, but Claire's not available. <laughs> Can we wait? And nine times out of ten, the answer is yes. So that's that's what comes from having that good relationship. It's so important. Um, there are lots of good copywriters out there, but I've just had too many experiences where I've sent something to a copywriter. And it's come back and I thought, I could have done better myself. Mm. It's not good writing. There's no creative spark in here. It's, um, it's not compelling. If I wanted this, I would have just done it myself. I just wonder how a job ends up like that, how an end product ends up like that. 
do you think it boils down to what you were talking about earlier about that curiosity? I mean, is it a lack of curiosity or...? It could be a lack of curiosity. Um, and, it, and it could be, like you say, well, we're just not that used to working with this organisation. But I find, I, I find the same in design. There are lots of people out there calling themselves designers and you get the work back and, and it's not exciting, it's mm. not different, it's bog standard. Um, and I, when I look for someone, if I'm bringing someone in to work with me for a client, it's got to be special, mm. otherwise I wouldn't be asking them to spend their money. Mm. You know, Most big organisations have internal people, so when I'm saying, I think you should come up with the money, this project is worth doing something different, something special that will really catch people's attention then you've got to deliver on that. Mm. So what advice would you give to an internal comms professional who wanted to bring someone in to provide support on the copywriting side? What should they look for? Use your network. Um, go to other internal communicators and, and uh, ask who they work with. Um, internal communications is quite a nice industry because even competitive firms, i found, the internal communicators are quite happy to speak to one another, not giving away any secrets, mm-hmm. but it's, it's quite a nice, friendly industry, is my experience. So, you know, use your network and then look at their portfolio. Like, for you, it's very easy to see how you write because you have your blog. Um, and so I will often say to people, check out Claire's blog, have a look at her writing. You'll see what I mean when I'm describing you. And so... Look at, look at what's available to you, look at other things that they've written, ask to see some examples, especially, you know, have you worked on something similar to this type of project before? Can I see some of your past work? And then trust your gut, because I to, to develop the sort of relationship that we're talking about, where you have someone that you, you use on a regular basis and you will turn to, it's got to be a good relationship, and you've got to feel you've got to trust that person, because... Often I find if I'm briefing you in on a project, it's confidential. Um, it, it's often the bigger projects that we need, the, you know, the, the big change or something's mm. coming um, that will get that help. And so, you know, I have to explain to my client that I'm bringing in someone else that I'm trusting. Mm-hmm. So I can't afford for that person to not be trustworthy. So um, someone that you feel that you've got a good relationship with and, and you can and you can trust is really important too. So from a copywriting perspective, copywriter's perspective, be trustworthy as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we're just about done, but before I let you go, I would just like to um, expose you to our quickfire round. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, what fuels your writing? Coffee, tea or something stronger? Um, I don't have caffeine, so definitely not coffee. I try not to dip into a gin and tonic too early in the day <laughs> <laughs> never before 11 <laughs> um I, I honestly stro- writing is not my strong point i i and it's not the thing i enjoy doing the most out of uh, out of what i do i will tackle it in the morning because that's when my mind is is the clearest i'm definitely a um i do all my challenging intellectual pieces of work in the morning okay my next um, question was when do you like to write or you will log or an owl so you've answered that for yes me. yes yeah. morning and um and it has to be quiet um i can't i 
I'm not one of these people that can work in a communal space with music and general chit-chat. If I'm writing, I need silence. Um, Same here. Um, yeah. I think you've just answered one of my other questions, oh. which is musical <laughs> silence. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, so, I, I mean, uh, the fuel is knowing what I'm writing about. So I will have has, asked my questions. I will have my, possibly my audio recording of the, of the person that I was talking to. Um, and, and the thing that I do first is type it all up um, and, and, then, and then start to look at, okay, what, what, what have we got here? What are the sections? What are the, what, and then start to move things around. And then when I've, I've got it like that, then I'll, then I'll look at the language and say, how can we say this in, in the best, most straightforward so one of my questions was, are you a planner or a plunger? It sounds like you're sort of neither. You're you're not mm. drafting a detailed outline, you're, but you're not diving right in. You're sort of I plunge assembling. first. Mm. Yeah, I plunge first and and just yeah yeah no I'm assembling. That's that's right mm. actually. If if I'm writing something for myself, say for my website or or a blog post for myself, then I'm a plunger. Mm. I don't plan it. I just bash it all down but yes if I'm right if I'm writing for someone else I would have done all the background and, that, and then start with mm. the assembly mm. yeah would you describe your desk as clear or cluttered both explain <laughs> <laughs> um it gets cleared I love the Japanese kind of tidy all of that I love that you should see, you should see my clothes drawers <laughs> <laughs> oh do you yes roll your socks up, or no, oh. fold your socks oh, rather than bench them um, they're in these lovely little Piles, it's so nice. Mm-hmm. Um, so my 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 brain feels most clean when my desk is clean. Mm-hmm. But um, juggling, having my own comms consultancy, trying to be a photographer, doing a photography degree, having a six year old, my desk gets cluttered quite quickly mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I'm working quite manically. So it will start clean, clutter, clutter, clutter. Can't think anymore. Have to stop in that instant and tidy. And then the same cycle. Where are you at the moment? Cluttered. Oh, mm. <laughs> better let you go. And... <laughs> Tidy my desk. Yes, get rid of the things that aren't sparking joy. <laughs> Who's your favourite writer? You gave me a bit of warning that you were going to ask me this question. <laughs> and I, I still don't feel I have one. I want to have one. I want to say somebody really impressive. But I don't have a favourite writer. I read a lot, but a lot of what I read at the moment is about photography, because that's what I'm studying. Um, in fact, most of it. I and I read quite a bit about Buddhism because mm-hmm. I I like the values and I, I like to try and live my life that way. So I have very little time for reading just for the enjoyment of reading. Um, but if I do pick up some fiction on a plane, I tend to go for a thriller. I do like Joe Nesbo, um, but generally kind of. Dark Scandinavian uh, Nordic noir. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nordic noir. Yeah. yeah. Would be my favourite genre, probably. Finally, your best writing tip. Know your audience. Yeah. Just ask the questions, know who they are, what they need, what's happening, um, what needs to change as a result of what you're writing. Yeah, that's my biggest, biggest tip. Theresa North, it's been delightful having some time to sit and chat about things. My pleasure. If 
you enjoyed the show, remember to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. And if you could leave a review while you're there, that would really help me get the show noticed. As ever, visit goodcopybadcopy.co.uk for free tips and advice on writing and the writing life. Until the next episode, bye from me. Bye.